Welcome to Axios Pro Rata, where we take just 10 minutes to get you smarter on the collision of tech, business, and politics. Sponsored by Bridge Bank. Be bold. Venture wisely. So today is the latest in our series of interviews with 2020 presidential candidates. This time with Wayne Messam, the mayor of Miramar, Florida, who just declared for the Democratic Party nomination. Here we go. Bridgebank believes in the risk takers, the game changers, and the disruptors, those committed to leveraging innovation to make the world a better place. That's why Bridgebank has been dedicated to providing financial solutions to sponsor-backed emerging technology and growth companies for nearly two decades through its national network of banking teams and offices. Bridgebank is a division of Western Alliance Bank. Bridgebank, be bold, venture wisely. We're joined now by Miramar, Florida Mayor Wayne Messam. So, Mr. Mayor, you've said that 2020 might be the year of the mayor. So why now in presidential politics, given that it's never before been the year of the mayor? Well, you know, when you look at the pressing issues that this nation is facing, American people are looking for problem solvers and mayors are viewed to get the job done. We are close to the people. We have to deal with our local issues every day. We don't have the luxury of shutting down our government. And when you look Look at the complexing and sometimes difficult situation in Washington. American people see that Washington is broken. And I think um, in terms of myself, um, being I'm a mayor of uh, one of Florida's uh, major cities in the state of Florida, we have uh, one of the fastest growing economies in the country. We have more Fortune 500 companies than any city in, in the South Florida area, which serves the gateway to Latin America and the Caribbean. And the issues that we're tackling, you know, our business environment is very strong. Uh, we're winning um, jobs and manufacturing. And, and competing head on with China. Let me ask you about the mayorship, because and, and this is my own ignorance of Florida and Florida local politics. But so I'm, I'm basing this on what I've read in some of the local papers down there. And they refer to the, the mayor's office in Miramar, in some cases, as more ceremonial than executive, since there's also a city manager. Can you speak to that? Well, we work together. I mean, obviously, I'm responsible um, to lead our commission in passing our quarter billion dollar budget. We have over a thousand employees that I work with our city manager in terms of providing on the services. But at the end of the day, um, it's the direction of the commission that sets the policies and the directive um, of our city. Some may say ceremonial, but it's a full-time job that requires the not only the presence, but it also um, the vision of addressing our issues. And when you think about the issues that the American people face, Americans, um, they're, they're, they're struggling. Um, some people want, and some people work two and three jobs. So in the city of Miramar, we decided to offer a living wage for our employees. Let's talk about issues. And one of the ones that you talked about gun control, one of the ones that you've also talked a lot about and seems to be kind of one of the big focuses of your campaign is student debt forgiveness. And and correct me if I'm wrong about this, but you suggest that we could do that pure current student loan forgiveness by repealing the Trump tax cuts. So let me ask about that. There's all sorts of indications that the economy is beginning to slow at least a little bit and might be significantly slow by the time the next president takes office. How would you be able to square raising taxes on business if the economy is indeed slowing down? Well, I don't view it as raising taxes. Well, it would be, right? It would be, it would be if you get rid of the cut, the number would go up. We will repeal the Trump tax cuts that was given last year that hasn't benefited the American people. When you look at the $1.5 trillion in outstanding student loan debt, it's crippling our economy. It's actually stopping college graduates who have taken on tens of thousands of dollars, in some cases over $100,000 in debt, not because they want to, but because they had to. Corporations require these degrees to be able 
able to get a high paying job. But yet, you know, if you're from a working class family or sometimes middle class families, um, you, you are forced to take on this debt. So you graduate with these degrees and you have debt payments that stop you from being able to perhaps buy a house, which hurts the real estate market, or perhaps even investing in your own business. If you're an accountant to start your own firm, you may not take that risk. You may just decide to work for someone else. So we see um, by repealing the tax cut, we'll be able to erase that debt. Our data shows us that it could create anywhere from 1 million to 1.5 million jobs. It will have a boost to our GDP, um, boosting our annual GDP from $86 billion to $108 billion. And at the end of the day, you know, um, it, it relieves that extra burden, you know, for Americans to be able to achieve the American dream. Okay, so that's for folks who have already gone to school and have current debt. What are your thoughts about folks who either are about to go to school or will be in the next four years, 10 years, et cetera? Are you supportive of tuition-free colleges, public universities? And what do you do on the private side where costs have continued to outpace inflation, significantly outpace inflation. Without doubt, we have to address the high cost uh, to have a higher education in, in this country. And we have to learn from our from our lessons. As you stated, uh, the cost of uh, getting a higher education um, has not, incomes and ability to pay for this has not kept up. Um, the, the costs continue to increase. So I'm, I'm a proponent of um, providing um, access to uh, debt-free college or free edu- uh, higher education from our public um, institutions. Uh, obviously, you have examples like what's taking place out in California where they're providing um, junior college or state college um, tuition for free. These are the programs we need to be investing in. If you're talking about student loan forgiveness, for example, for somebody who went to a private university five years ago, what do you do for that person who might be enrolling in two years when the cost of that, you know, you're right, junior colleges, community colleges, even some public colleges, but but the federal government then arguably is on the hook for these, you know, continually higher and higher tuition rates. Well, yeah, well, this is it's a matter of political will. I mean, we want an educated society. We want to be able to provide um, an opportunity um, for Americans to be able to compete for, for these jobs. And, and then again, you know, we have to look at corporations. Corporations also have to have some skin in the game. If corporations are requiring these degrees, there are proposals that will look and see how corporations can, can participate. And even if it's in a small way, um, to help offset some of this cost. You know, so it's imperative that we also make available um, the increasing of Pell Grants as well as other funding for for middle class and working class families that can't that, that cannot control or cannot afford um, the cost. So when you combine investing in Pell Grants and other financial aid that will um, go to uh, to individuals that cannot afford the cost of colleges, working with our universities to um, investing them to ensure that we make sure that we are keeping um, college costs um, attainable um, for, for Americans. So I think it's a combination of all those efforts, us investing in financial aid, us um, working with our states to improve their education systems, to uh, provide pathways um, for education, as well as with um, corporations have a skin in the game as well um, to help offset some of this cost. Speaking of corporations, there's obviously been a lot of talk over the last couple of years about automation, and there seems to be two schools of thought as it relates to labor. One school of thought is, uh uh-oh, all the jobs are going to disappear, both blue-collar and white-collar jobs, or at least there's going to be a lot fewer of them available in the future. And, And then there's this other school of thought, which is, no, just like, you know, we move 
move from horses to tractors or, or and then to cars, you know, from horses to cars, there are going to be plenty of jobs. There are just going to be different jobs. Can you just give your thoughts on kind of where you lie in that spectrum? Well, listen, I'm, I'm a business owner. I own a construction company and technology has definitely revolutionized the construction industry. So I've had to adapt myself as well as looking for the workforce that can be able to adapt to this um, changing economy. As a mayor, let me tell you what I'm doing. I'm actually, um, I invest in our, in our high school students. I do a technology boot camp that features information technology, virtualization, exposing our kids to the upcoming opportunity of artificial intelligence because we want them to know what is coming. We want them to be prepared. You know, uh, this country has migrated in our economic system over the years. We're an agricultural country that was impacted by the Industrial Revolution and through globalization, um, you know, the Industrial Revolution now has uh, made it more difficult for manufacturing um, to be here domestically in terms from a competition standpoint. Mr. Mayor, final question for you is some of the folks who are running against you for the Democratic nomination, particularly Elizabeth Warren, have called some of the big tech companies in Silicon Valley, namely Facebook, Amazon, et cetera, monopolies and have suggested they need to be broken up. Do you feel they're monopolies and should they be broken up? Individuals and corporations should be able to compete. That always spurs competition. It always spurs the best product for the end user. I'm a champion for small businesses. I'm a champion for equity. I want to make sure that whoever wants to take the risk to be an entrepreneur and start a business, that they have the resources available. So is that a yes? Should they be broken up? How I see the issue, not necessarily broken up. I think when you're looking at corporations that threaten the privacy of individuals and threaten the way of life um, in this country and the threats that create some of the vulnerabilities that have been exposed that may have been talked about by some of my Democratic opponents. I think we have to address those underlying issues. In terms of, um, from a competitive standpoint, you know, um, an environment that that, that fosters that type of competition, um, I think will help spur a lot of the um, opportunities for us to address these issues that have been uh, debated and discussed in terms of privacy um, and some of the concerns um, that have plagued our country in the, in the recent years as it relates to some of these big industries. Mayor Wayne Messam, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Take care. With offices in tech hubs throughout the country, including San Francisco, Boston, Atlanta, and now Seattle, BridgeBank continues to meet the innovation ecosystem wherever it thrives. And through its teams focused on technology and life sciences companies and the equity investors who fuel them, BridgeBank delivers a responsive, high-touch client experience. BridgeBank is a division of Western Alliance Bank. BridgeBank. Be bold. Venture wisely. And we're done. Big thanks for listening. And to my producer, Tim Shovers, have a great national Cherish an Antique Day. And we'll be back tomorrow with another Pro Rata podcast.